Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. Mia is 36 years old. She's been happily married for three years. Mia is definitely a go-getter. She's an executive at a consulting firm and has a relatively stressful job. She wants to be settled in her marriage and her career before thinking about having children. But now, at 36, she's trying and was surprised that she wasn't getting pregnant. She tried everything under the sun, invested in an ovulation kit, started doing acupuncture and yoga, She took on less projects at work due to the stress factor. She even considered changing her job to be more conducive to having a family. She keeps seeing posts on social media of her friends with baby bumps and pregnancy announcements. We're expecting. And she just started getting more and more stressed. Mia finally decided to undergo testing, hoping to find the cause. Is it a fibroid? She not producing eggs? Is it her husband's sperm? After exhaustive period of testing, Mia was told she had no fertility issues, no poor egg quality, not low or poor sperm, no problems with ovulation, no endometriosis. So if there's no fertility issues that were identified, why is Mia having trouble getting pregnant? Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to give you information to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. Today we're talking about a condition that affects one in six couples of reproductive age, fertility. My guest today is a reproductive endocrinologist, which means a fertility and women's health expert, Dr. Brad Miller from Beaumont. So glad to have you with us today. Thank you. The working women of today may only consider starting a family in their mid-30s. I am one of those women. Many women dream of having a child one day, but it proves to be difficult or impossible when you're having trouble with fertility. The emotional, physical, and financial stressors associated with fertility is a really challenging process and can be very overwhelming, particularly for accomplished career women who are used to getting their own way when they work hard. According to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, 12% of women have difficulty getting pregnant or carrying a baby to term. And men seeking help, 18% were diagnosed with infertility. We hope today's podcast can offer hope, advice, comfort, and most importantly, honesty on what to expect when you're not expecting. Dr. Miller, tell us about what you do. It seems like you have such a fascinating job. You're either the bearer of good news or the bearer of bad news. Sure. I mean, it's uh, definitely exciting when uh, it works and patients come back with healthy babies. That's what it's all about. But uh, on the other hand, Sort of like cancer treatment, uh, sometimes it doesn't work and there's a negative outcome. And uh, patients have spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of emotion in trying to uh, get pregnant. And if it doesn't work, it's a, a huge letdown. So I think, uh, I think most about the patients that uh, do not uh, have success coming through treatment. And, uh, you know, hopefully they find uh, happiness either with adoption or other means of uh, a child-free life, but uh, those are the ones that weigh upon me the most. Uh, my wife and I also struggled through infertility, and that's not why I got into this. It's just <laughs> as a result of that, pushing off uh, childbearing. So we did the clomid cycles and the uh, 
uh, gonadotropin insemination cycles and five IVF cycles, but uh, thank God it worked. So. Wow, five IVF cycles. Yep. So you have a personal experience with this and you can really Absolutely. identify with your patients on what they're going through, you know, both the female and the male. And it, it must be really hard for you to see people that don't succeed, but then at the same time, when people do succeed, it must feel great. It is. I mean, certainly the, the, the failures are uh, the ones that weigh on us the most, but certainly when we have success and see how we've changed people's lives, um, every year we have a baby picnic and all the patients get to come back and uh, they bring their babies back and the whole staff comes and everybody really enjoys that. The patients, the, the staff really enjoy that day. I think the other great thing about your job is that you are you have to be honest with people about Absolutely. what to expect and there's no giving false hope. It's like, hey, you're at this yep. age and this is what we need to do. Certainly. We deal a lot in percentages and certainly percentages only apply to groups. They never apply to individuals, but we have to tell them that these are the percentages for a patient in your situation. This is what we'd expect the outcome to be. What exactly is the definition of infertility? Well, that is the million-dollar question. Uh, typically, what we have done to define infertility is for women that are under 35, it would be one year of attempting conception together. For women over 35, we've shortened that to six months. And then for women over 40, we would recommend immediate evaluation by either their OBGYN or one of uh, my specialties, reproductive endocrinology. So your recommendation then is to, if it's been six months and you're over 35 or you're 35, that you should call your doctor immediately? Yes, I think uh, a evaluation is warranted in those situations. Sometimes a easy fix could be found and they could get pregnant after that treatment. Uh, other times we need to go into more uh, invasive treatment such as IVF. How does age affect your fertility? Well, there's always been a lot of controversy around the biological clock, and I think your story uh, that started this segment uh, is very apropos in the sense that uh, many women do delay childbearing because of careers and education, uh, and that's very common. And unfortunately, there is a biological clock. And what that means is that as women get older, the egg number goes down, and also that egg quality goes down. So how does that result? It, it results in women having a harder time in conceiving, a higher chance of a miscarriage, and lastly, which I don't think is talked about very much, is a higher risk of a birth defect, such as having a baby with Down syndrome. You know, the, the magic number seems to be 35, but as, as you age, so let's say you're 36 and 37, so is it every year you're losing more and more eggs, or is it every cycle, every month? Well, believe it or not, you lost the most number of eggs when you were born. So um, baby, female infants are born with approximately about 2 million eggs. Hmm. And then by the time they have their first ovulation, say around 11 or 12, they're down to about 300,000 eggs. So those eggs did not ovulate. They became atritic or programmed cell death over that period of time. But each single month, roughly about 800 eggs are in the race to ovulate that particular month. Only one wins, the rest of them, again, die off. So I wouldn't say that there's a magical number. Um, there is an attrition process throughout the entire woman's life, but we seem to see it impacted more over 35. And why is that? Well, it seems to accelerate at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and even in the best of circumstances, women had about a 20% chance of conceiving each month. Huh. So. By age 35, we can see it drop down to about 10% per month, and that's for normal women. What are some causes of infertility that are not related to age? The big ones would be tubal factor, male factor, 
uh, PCO, which means ovulatory issues or polycystic ovarian syndrome. Those are the probably the big three. IVF is is a treatment that I think is is well heard of, and I I as a physician was surprised myself on how exhaustive the treatment is. You know, you're you need ultrasounds every other day and injections for several days, taking hormones. Uh, can you kind of walk me through a treatment cycle of let's say IVF? Sure. Uh, for most IVF cycles, we have a preparatory month for women, and what that means is we either put them on a short course of birth control pills or sometimes we'll start them on a small dose of estrogen the month before we want to start. And then they, we get their period. Either they stop birth control pills and have a period or they have a natural period. And then as you mentioned, on day three of the cycle, we start out with a baseline ultrasound above to make sure everything is safe to start the medication. And over the next 10 days, we'll do ultrasounds like you mentioned every other day, and then they almost come to every day towards the end of the cycle, which means around cycle day 13 or 14. At that point, we give them a trigger shot, which is a shot of HCG, the pregnancy hormone, and then 36 hours later is when the egg retrieval is done. And that's, again, right around mid-cycle. So that seems like a very long process. It's it what, about six weeks, or how long is that well, process? It, it all falls within a month. Um, if you include the preparatory month, yes, you could argue that it's six to eight weeks, but the time-consuming part of it, where they're monitoring every other day, is roughly going on for 10 to 14 days. For a working woman, like it's really difficult to get time off to be able to complete these treatments. How do your patients manage? Most of the time, we are seeing these patients very early in the morning. Uh, we open up at 6.30. I know other clinics open up uh, just about as early. And we try to get their blood work and ultrasound done before they have to be at work or before they have to get the kids off to school. Uh, those are most of the visits. Now, obviously, when they have their procedure to have their eggs retrieved, uh, they would not be expected to go back to work that day, but they could probably go back to work the next day. And the day that they get their egg retrieved, is that is a procedure that requires anesthesia? And uh, what's the recovery time for that? Correct. Um, so the egg retrieval procedure requires IV sedation, and they're typically asleep somewhere for 15 to 20 minutes. And the recovery time is usually the rest of that day. Uh, they would experience some cramping, some spotting typically. Many women will use Tylenol for pain control, mm -hmm. uh, though if they request a narcotic, we would give them a narcotic for the day. So I think this is great that you're explaining this process because um, most of my friends are in our mid-30s and there's this misconception because we see so many people having babies later and later, you know, like a lot of celebrities are having children at, at the age of 40. Uh, Nicole Kidman did a 60 Minutes interview where she talked about her you know, pregnancy. And I think it gives a lot of women a false perception that there is no race for time. Is that realistic? Uh, I don't think it is realistic. I think a lot of the celebrities you see having twins in their late 40s and early 50s are probably an egg donor. I certainly do not know their past or their medical history mm -hmm. firsthand, but um, we do not see um, women naturally having pregnancies in their late 40s and early 50s without the use of an egg donor. Can you talk about some other common fertility treatments you know, such as IUI? I think a lot of people don't know about all the various treatments that are out there. Sure. So for younger patients, uh, those that have normal FSHs, we can talk a little bit about that, um, have at least one open fallopian tube and their husband's sperm is reasonable, one of the first-line therapies would be using a medication called Clomid or a medication called Femara. These are oral medications. They're relatively inexpensive. They're taken for five days in the beginning of the cycle, typically cycle day three through seven. 
And then around the middle of the cycle, the patient comes back around day 14 for another ultrasound. We determine how many follicles they have. We give them another trigger shot, that HCG injection, and then they're inseminated. And the inseminations are typically done two days in a row, 14 and 15. Uh, the men collect by masturbation. We process the sample. We try to remove the dead sperm, the non-motile sperm, and hyperactivate or make the sperm swim better before they're actually placed back in the uterine cavity. So rather than intercourse where most of the sperm will end up dying over a period of time, uh, millions of sperm now can be placed directly in the uterine cavity, and they can actually live in the uterine cavity for three to four days or longer. And that's the IUI treatment? That's the IUI treatment, yeah. Okay. And then how does that differ from IVF then? Like IVF then is more, is, can you explain? Sure. Um, so basically everything regarding fertilization and um, implantation is still happening within the woman's body when we're doing an insemination. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the eggs are being released internally. The sperm is being placed in the uterine cavity. So the mother is still the oven, if you want to think of it that way. Mm -hmm. IVF, now we're moving everything outside of the body. So now we're taking the eggs outside the body. Again, we have the men collect a sample, and now we're fertilizing the eggs within the Petri dish and growing an embryo. And then we would put back an embryo with a transfer, typically, you know, day 19, day 20 of a cycle. You mentioned Clomid. Can you tell me a little bit about Clomid? Because I've had girlfriends who've taken Clomid and they said it just makes them crazy. Um, it's not well tolerated. They feel really moody and people are afraid to be on it. What is Clomid and why does it make people, you sure. know, quote unquote, crazy? Well, um, it's a good question. Clomid is an anti-estrogen. It's in the same classification as the medication we use to treat uh, breast cancer, tamoxifen. Mm -hmm. So it's a selective estrogen receptor modulator. And basically what that means is in different parts of the body, it may act as estrogen or it may act as an anti-estrogen, okay? So what it's doing to the brain is it's telling the brain it's low in estrogen. So the brain tries to make more FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone. That's what it's doing good. Unfortunately, it also interacts with the mood center and the sleep center. So you have hot flashes, you have mood swings. And those are side effects of the medication. Fortunately, they don't happen to every patient. Mm -hmm. um, the good news is another drug called Femara or Letrozole uh, works as equally as well as Clomid, and we can use that often. So infertility is often thought as a woman's problem. But one-third of all infertility problems are due to men, which is about the same as women. 30% of the causes uh, for infertility is because of women, and 30% is because of men. What are the causes of infertility in men? Well, those are less clear-cut. Um, obviously, I believe that every single male partner in a relationship should have a semen analysis done. And the reason for that is, like you mentioned, 30% are male factor. And if we do find a male factor, what we typically do is refer them to the urologist who does the same type of evaluation we do for the women, look at hormone levels, do a physical exam, maybe do an ultrasound for the men. Uh, they may treat the men with Clomid, believe it or not. So the men aren't off uh, scot-free with uh, medication. Many of my friends have considered or gone under fertility treatments, and one of their biggest challenges is discussing the process with their partner. You know, what advice do you have for women when they're trying to talk to their partner about starting fertility treatment? Well, uh, I think that's difficult um, for any relationship because obviously I think most couples would want this to happen on their own, and I think it does build up a lot of um, uh, animosity in the relationship and, and uh a lot of couples try to point fingers, and I, I think what we try to do as medical professionals is say it's a couple issue, and it's not the male problem or the female problem. It's the two of you. So 
I initially try to explain to him, you know, your husband may not be infertile with another woman, or you may not be infertile with another man, but it's the two of you together. So we have to treat you as a couple. And uh, we don't have a lot of counseling set up. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, our nurses and, and physicians end up being partial social workers and medical providers at the same time. Uh, I think for patients that have uh, significant issues, we do refer them to mental health experts, social workers, to get more help. Yeah, it would make sense to me going through that process to have some kind of extra emotional support or um, a support group of sorts or just somewhere where people can have somewhere to turn to to get more questions that they might not have time to ask their doctors about. Um, So... We're talking about fertility and fertility treatments. What are some of the barriers for getting these fertility treatments? Like cost would be one. Certainly. Um, you know, we have different options available, obviously, and, and clomid inseminations are certainly some of the cheaper ones and are very effective in achieving pregnancy, whereas IVF can be costly due to the medications, the blood work, the ultrasounds. About involved. how much would it cost? Uh, IVF cycles can range between fifteen or twenty thousand dollars, depending on what's covered for medications, what's covered for blood work and ultrasounds, and it's different for every patient. So, without really researching their insurance and trying to find out uh, what kind of coverage they have, uh, we can't really give them an exact number. But that's a, a broad range. That's a huge emotional and financial commitment. It uh, is. It, you must build really great relationships with your patients over time, and uh, you know, I wonder. What happens when it's not successful, or what are the chance? What are the percentages of doing these fertility treatments and having it be successful? Well, it obviously, depends on the treatment and the, the patient themselves. But we try to explain to them that this is not a sprint. This is sort of a marathon. Um, no one therapy is 100% effective. Uh, and if you know, if they're looking for that kind of um, success rate, then I would recommend adoption because, you know, adoption, you know, and if they stick with it, uh, they usually end up having a child through adoption. Uh, But any type of fertility treatment, uh, unfortunately, is not 100% successful. Clomid usually has the lowest success rates, um, somewhere around 10 to 15% chance of conception with each treatment. IVF can range anywhere from you know, 30 to 60% chance of uh, a live birth, depending on what the age of the mother is or the woman. So what if you are 35 or 36 and you've got this amazing career and you maybe just haven't found someone that you want to have a child with quite yet? What are the options for women in that age range? Like egg freezing, you know, we hear about egg freezing. Can you talk to me about egg freezing? Sure. Um, So egg freezing is basically going through the IVF process. So they have to do all the injections that we talked about and the blood work and the ultrasounds, and then ultimately they go through the egg retrieval. Instead of combining those eggs with sperm, then we just freeze the eggs. And literally we can freeze time in the sense that, you know, if she is 36 at that time, though, the eggs will remain 36. And if she comes back at 40, she's gonna have the eggs of a 36 year old, uh, which is, you know, pretty remarkable. And more and more, the tech companies are providing coverage for uh, their employees to go through egg freezing. Uh, Google and Apple are a few of the ones that I know of that are uh, paying for this through their insurance to have women have their eggs frozen so they can continue on in their career. And then when they make that decision to bear children, then they come back and they use those frozen eggs. How long can you freeze the eggs for? Eggs, embryo, sperm can be frozen indefinitely. Um, mm-hmm. As long as they remain in the liquid nitrogen, they are frozen forever. Is there a recommended age of, 
you know, you would tell someone after a certain age, you wouldn't recommend them um, using a frozen egg? Yeah, the uh, same thing we talked about with the biological clock, the younger, the better. So if, if they're in their late 20s, early 30s, that would be the absolute best time to freeze eggs. Um, still, I would consider it in the mid 30s. But once you start to get into your late 30s and early 40s, then the chance of conception has gone down significant and significantly. And then I would tell you that, you know, at that point, we should consider just trying to get you pregnant, um, even with donor sperm or some other means. Is there any limitation? So let's say uh, I were to freeze my eggs today. Uh, let's say I'm saying, oh, I'm going to wait till I'm 50 to have the, yeah. this child. Is there restrictions? As a physician, do you say, you know, well, if you're going to freeze your eggs now, maybe uh, the cutoff would be 40, 45 to utilize the eggs? Yeah, I, I would say probably 45 or earlier would be the ideal time to use those eggs. Um, the issue with Childbearing in the late 40s, 50s is, as all of us, when we get older, we have higher incidence of hypertension, heart disease, um, you know, diabetes, all those things. And they definitely will complicate any pregnancy that a woman has. And it's not to say that they can't have a healthy baby, but um, it's not ideal for women in their 50s to be bearing children. In a really touching and personal uh, move, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan announced via Facebook that they were expecting a baby. And the announcement was medically relevant because the couple wrote about their struggle to conceive, not because of infertility, but the Zuckerbergs revealed that they were having, for the last two years, troubles with loss of pregnancies. They had three miscarriages. Um, you know, the statement discussed how initially they suffered in silence, and a lot of people do. Uh, they don't feel like sharing with family and friends. But once they did, they realized how many people were going through the same experiences. As with fertility, miscarriage is often a problem that a lot of uh, women suffer with, and they suffer in silence. But it's not discussed as frequently, even though I think it occurs more frequently than infertility. Can you speak to the percentages of miscarriage and how that affects your chance of getting pregnant? Obviously, miscarriages to us, it's as you know, just as important as infertility. I mean, we want our couples to have a live birth, and whether it's the difficulty achieving a pregnancy or maintaining a pregnancy, to us, it's the same. So we do treat patients with recurrent pregnancy loss. Um, Unfortunately, it is one of those things, again, that's age-related. So women who are in their 20s have about a 10% chance of a miscarriage, but a woman in her 40s might have a 50% chance of a miscarriage. So definitely a huge difference in, in age-related risk of miscarriage. However, if we do find any woman with two or more miscarriages, we initiate a workup looking at recurrent loss uh, labs, which include clotting disorder, autoimmune diseases, and we look at anatomical issues, such as problems with the uterus, that might be resulting in the miscarriage. Since we're on the topic of Mark Zuckerberg, what do you think the role of social media can play in breaking the stigma around infertility? I, I think it's been uh, good in the sense that, you know, back in the day, um, we would have some message boards um, online. But I think now women are definitely way more connected through social media. Um, talking about their experiences of infertility, talking about their experiences re with recurrent loss and sharing that. And I think, you know, the, as we mentioned about getting help, this is one thing that ultimately does help every single patient talking to somebody who's been through this and say, yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel for them. 
my friends have spent so much money on like herbs and vitamins and acupuncture. And, you know, what are your thoughts about alternative therapies and its success when it comes to uh, getting pregnant? Well, we have to be careful recommending alternative therapies. Um, we do work with some acupuncturists and some naturopaths. Uh, I would tell you that we still have to rely on mainstream medicine for patients to be able to conceive successfully. Uh, I'm not against them having help through um, those those realms, but uh, still we would recommend good old-fashioned Clomid inseminations, IVF if appropriate. And some of the vitamins that um, my friends have been getting have been uh, across over from overseas. Um, would you encourage them then to let you know about what they're taking? And people might feel like, oh, the doctor's going to judge me. I don't want them to know all these herbs because is, is there a potential harm in that? There can be. There are, Some of these supplements have what's called phytoestrogens or which are plant-derived estrogens, which can actually act like estrogen. So we need to know if they're on that because it's going to affect how they're going to respond during a treatment cycle. Can you speak a little bit about external factors that contribute to infertility, things such as smoking or excessive alcohol or poor diet? All the above. <laughs> uh, smoking is certainly one of the ones that's probably been most studied, and it definitely has an impact on egg number, egg quality. So uh, one of the first things we'll try to do is have patients quit smoking. Does that include smoking marijuana? Um, marijuana has not been studied as much, but we basically ask them to stop any type of smoking, um, You know, limit their caffeine intake to maybe one or less cups a day. Also with uh, drinking, you know, drink in, in moderation. And then obviously when they're pregnant, we recommend that they do not consume any alcohol. What are some things that patients can do uh, on their own to help in, improve their chances of fertility? Things, you know, like diet and exercise and that sort of thing. Certainly diet and exercise, I think are very important. I've heard uh, other fertility experts tell patients to stop exercising and I don't think that that's a very good idea at all. I think they should continue to exercise regularly, eat a healthy diet. Probably most importantly, they should be getting at least a milligram of folic acid in their diet every day. And most of the patients will be supplemented with folic acid. Uh, prenatal vitamins do have a milligram of folic acid in them. They should just check on the back of the bottle if they're taking their prenatal vitamins. But I think uh, stress, certainly, it's not necessarily stopping them from conceiving, but stress can stop, in the, can stop them from continuing treatment. And, you know, going through, as you mentioned earlier in the segment about getting up early in the morning, multiple visits, it's stressful. And it's stressful on the patient, stressful on the couple. So anything they can do to reduce that stress, whether it's exercise or yoga or meditation, I think is good. And then weight is an issue too, right? If you're extremely overweight, you might have trouble conceiving. And many patients who have polycystic ovarian disease may have a metabolic syndrome, and, and that can also cause trouble. Absolutely. That uh, adds to the difficulty of having patients conceive. So uh, certainly when we see higher BMIs, body mass indexes, that we see higher loss rates, difficulty getting pregnant. So um, we have referred them to the Beaumont uh, Weight Clinic, and that's been very helpful for us. Is it because of the estrogen that they are having trouble with the um, weight? Not really. Um, estrogen does cause fluid retention, so a lot of patients will say, "Oh, I'm you know I'm heavy or or fat," but they really aren't. It's just you know, water weight that they've gained with estrogen exposure. Uh, same thing with birth control pills; they don't necessarily cause weight gain. Uh, it's really just 
diet and exercise. So the number of calories coming in versus the calories being burnt. For partners, I think going through the process of uh, fertility treatments can be very isolating. Uh, it seems like the woman is the one having to get the injections and the blood draws and the doctor's appointments, and uh, the partner is sort of standing by. What advice would you have for the partners when trying to support um, the woman that's going through all of this? Um, I, I know even from personal experience of my friends, there's a lot of blame, like, I have to do all this, and, and the husband's not really doing anything, or the partner's not, you know, quote, unquote, doing anything. How can they best support their partner? Oh, excellent question. I mean, obviously, the big joke is the, the man only has one job to do. He shows up and provides a sample, and that's it. But I, I think uh, they do have a very important role to support their spouse and their partner uh, through this process. It is a very emotional process. And I, one thing we do inform uh, the male partners about is that, you know, these hormones will make them um, uh, emotional, uh, moody, and it's not uh, anything personal or something going on with the relationship. This is just a side effect of the medication. But uh, overall, if they uh, have a supportive role for their spouse, uh, we do see, I think, better outcomes, and it's much better tolerated by the female patient. Where do you see the future lie in fertility treatments? Do you think it's going to be more commonplace and that the treatments will be more effective in the future? They have increasingly become more successful. Uh, we are putting back fewer embryos and having a higher live birth rate. That's been you know, ongoing now for 20 or 30 years that each year we're seeing a little bit better improvement. Uh, we're able to test the embryos now and put back quote unquote normal embryos. And that gives us higher success rates. Uh, also egg freezing I think is a sign of the future too. So women don't necessarily have to worry about, oh, I have to have a child now if I don't I'm going to miss out. So having frozen eggs is definitely something uh, I think we're going to see more and more of. And then finally, we're treating uh, more genetic uh, abnormalities. So couples who are not infertile, but they've had children, they have children with significant uh, diseases, and they want to have a healthy child. So they come to us, we test the embryos and transfer the embryos that are either unaffected or carriers like the parents so they can have a healthy child. What are your thoughts on gender equality in the workplace? So what I mean by that is, do you think women would have children younger in their careers if there was more gender equality, such as um, supporting pregnancy or having more areas to breastfeed or giving people time off to go for treatments and appointments and that kind of thing? I think today we are seeing uh, more women able to have children and have the ability to breastfeed during work and have time off for maternity leave. So more and more workplaces are allowing for that. Um, so I think that's heading in the right direction. Is it at perfect equality? Probably not yet, but I'm, I'm glad to see some of the tech companies standing behind their female employees and saying, hey, if you want to freeze your eggs, we're going to, we're going to cover that for you, which is outstanding. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a big issue is that a lot of women will wait to have children, whether in a relationship or not, is because they don't feel like they've quite gotten to the right place and they think about, oh, I'm going to have to take a time off. How am I going to breastfeed? They start thinking about all these various factors that could affect their careers. And if employers uh, would support those initiatives a little bit more, perhaps women might be having children younger than they are sure. uh, currently. Uh, what are some good resources to learn more about fertility treatments? Good resources out there. There's an organization online called Resolve, and I think uh, they do a very good job of 
uh, informing patients of the basic evaluation. Um, many of the pharmaceutical companies that sell these medications also have good websites uh, to inform patients on what the, their risk factors are. And, and even there's some basic tests that women can take at home or they can come in and have them done through their physician's office to check on their egg quality, quote unquote. What's your advice for women who eventually want to have a family and who maybe they're 35 years old, whether they're in a relationship or not? Uh, tell us the truth, no sugarcoating. What would you say to them? Well, I think those particular patients deserve an evaluation. Uh, there are some blood work, there's some ultrasounds, some evaluation that we can perform on them to tell them what their status is. It doesn't guarantee fertility in the future, but at least it can tell them, hey, things are looking pretty good right now. These are your options, you know, freezing eggs or using donor sperm and becoming pregnant right away. Um, so we try to give them best information possible. So you think, uh, for example, um, if, even if you haven't been trying to have a child, it would be warranted to get an AMH level, like uh, the yes. anti-malarian hormone level, and what does that level tell you? AMH is reflective of the egg number, so that's a good number to check. And then the other one's FSH. FSH we check on day three of the period, and that talks about egg quality. So both of those labs are very important. And then the third thing we do is we assess the ovaries by looking at the follicles by ultrasound. How often would you have someone check that level? Let's say they check, would you have them check it annually to see how it's doing or every six months? I think annually uh, is at least a, a good starting point. And then once uh, we see changes where the FSH might be creeping up, then maybe every six months if they haven't started trying to conceive. And any advice you'd give out there for men who want to have families? Um, for the men, definitely. I think uh, they should go in and have a semen analysis done. And if that semen analysis is normal, they're probably off the hook initially. Uh, if it's abnormal, then we would have them see urology. All right, Dr. Miller, what a rewarding profession that you have, helping couples who are struggling to have a family conceive. Um, that's something a lot of us take for granted. I think you've helped so many people today with your wisdom and advice. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Don't forget my co-host, Dr. Nick Gilpin, and I are working on future Beaumont House Call podcast. We're looking into how mindfulness can enhance your health, the I family, what is that and how it affects social relationships, and how to care for an aging parent. We also want to remind you to send along any questions to podcast at beaumont.org. In the future, we'll be answering our mailbag. Thanks so much for joining us on the Beaumont House Call podcast. We leave you today with this healthy thought. Infertility is a heart-wrenching, faith-questioning, relationship-testing, life-altering experience. Whether a friend, a family member, a colleague, or yourself has fought through this challenge. Millions of men and women are fighting this day in and day out just to have a chance to be a parent. Be sure to see a specialist if it's been six months and no results are happening if you're 35 and older. Do things that you can control, like your diet, exercise, stress relief, and be informed. You know there are options out there for you, like IVF and IUI. As a woman, I hear it all the time. Women can't have it all a successful career, and children. But look at Mia. Some may fault her ambitious career and her age for not being able to have children, but her fertility issues had nothing to do with her age. We need to talk more openly about health topics that directly affect women. After all, women make up 46.8% of the United States workforce. How will we get to a place of workplace equality if we don't openly speak about topics such as infertility, 
miscarriage, and pregnancy. Let's be informed and smarter about women's health.